You're about to listen to another Bonversation. If you like this episode, you can find more at johnlebon.com. Bonversations feature the most interesting and insightful people in the act realm and beyond. Every episode is made possible by people like you who value and support independent media. Now here's your host, JLB. It wasn't a tent, it was this magnificent thing. Yes, this is Bonversations, and boy have we got a special guest for you guys. This has been at least one year in the making. You know, for a long time I had people saying to me, JLB, if you think that this war isn't happening, why don't you just go there, document that it's fake, and you'll become world famous? Well, guess what, guys? I'm talking to somebody who did go to these so-called war zones, and he did document what is happening and what's not happening, and yet he's not world famous. I wish that he was. I wish that this guy was known throughout the world, but he isn't. But finally, we get a chance to speak to him about what he saw when he went to these so-called war zones and so much more. I am, of course, talking about Les Luther, the Twitter sensation, burst onto the scene last year, and he is the guy who has gone to war zones and riot zones, and he has shown you, with his own amateur footage, what's really happening. And it tends to be very different from what the TV is saying. So today, we're going to talk about what's really happening in these places. And then later on, we're going to get into some more spooky stuff, some more metaphysical stuff. This guy has some opinions about what's really going on in this world that's going to blow your mind. So we've got a lot to talk about. Let me introduce, coming to us from somewhere in the UK, I believe, Les Luther. Great to have you here. JLB, nice to finally um, catch up with you. And yeah, thanks for having me on. And also thanks for all the support you've been throwing my way. You've, you've been doing a lot of cheerleading for me. So I do appreciate that. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we finally got to have this conversation. I'm looking forward to it, mate. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I have been a bit of a cheerleader of yours. I've been making different videos and tweets and posts on Reddit and what have you, trying to get people to go and check out your work. Because to me, this topic that I call the war hoax, it's very important to me. And one of the reasons is because it's one of the few white pills that I've found in the nine years that I've been researching. Because you see, I've found some very dark things, some black pills that I don't think I ever recovered from as a person. But the war hoax is a beautiful white pill. Guys, there's nothing to worry about. There's not going to be a nuclear Armageddon. There is no such thing as nuclear bombs. The wars on your telescreens don't worry about all these victims. They're make-believe. This is wonderful news. This is one of the few topics I've found that I actually do want to spread to people. And you're doing a terrific job with what you do, going to these so-called war zones and showing people that what's on the TV is propaganda. So that's one of the reasons why I've been supporting you. And what I said at the beginning of this was, people tell me that I should go to these war zones and document it. I'll become world famous. It is true. This is no exaggeration. You've actually done that, Liz. You have gone to these so-called war zones and documented what is happening. And that's why I'm a big supporter of yours. So why don't we start right there? What on earth possessed you last year, back in what was it, February, March of last year, to go to Ukraine? Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind? Oh, I, you know, adventure was the main thing. I wanted to go and have an adventure. And I'd always, years before in my head, pictured myself being a war correspondent, but not the kind of clownish corporate one that we see, a more genuine, independent type person. And I always used to watch some YouTube videos of travel vloggers. And I used to like think in my head, like, if only we could just get a travel vlogger 
to go there independently and um, you know see what's really going on with no skin in the game no emotional attachment no you know being funded by um, some sleazy mainstream media outlet and so on and yeah it happened it manifested I mean we're, I'm sure we'll get into that in later in the, in the conversation about you know all that kind of woo woo stuff but yeah man I, you know then this was my chance I, I was pretty much looking at this war from the moment it started because the actual propaganda for it started on the 2nd of the 2nd 2022 right and just the, the blitzkrieg of propaganda was just so it was just so insane right it was off the scale of the level and i just knew it was just going to be a big thing in our in our in our kind of timeline in our history just purely based on the propaganda they were setting us up for before it even begun and uh, you had that um you know the former head of the cia the former director wink wink of the cia going around on every kind of bbc itv cnn um news channel saying this is going to be a war like no other it's going to be the first ever tiktok war and even that just sent alarm bells in my head and i just thought yeah man i'm gonna do it and then um i originally bought flights when kiev airport was still open back on like the 17th of february and then obviously that all got closed and my flight got cancelled and everything and that just made me want to go even more and um yeah and that's what started it. i just went adventure I wanted to see what I could see. I wanted to be, you know, right in the center of the action, right? Because in our realm that, at that time, that was the center of the world right there regarding, like, world stage theater, yeah? So, yeah, adventure, John, would be my answer. So a lot has happened since February of last year, and uh, our minds have been distracted by all these train derailments and submarines collapsing under the sea and all kinds of nonsense. But let's rewind back to last year. February of 2022, the news comes through that the uh, Ukrainians and the Russians are at war and evil Putin is invading Ukraine and there's this good guy Zelensky and he's standing up for Ukraine and all this kind of stuff. And that was around about the time that I first became familiar with you because you went to Ukraine to document what you were finding. My first question for you about this is, had you been involved in the, the truth scene or the conspiracy scene or the alternative did you have much to do with this place prior to that no i i set up a twitter account a year before about summertime of of 2021 i only did that because all of my favorite people you know human vibration chris knowles thomas sheridan they were getting so censored during the scandemic days that i had to go directly to their twitter accounts to see where their next podcast was and so on and to do that i had to have a a twitter account and that's really the first ever time I've ever had social media. I'm pretty much dead against, not sorry to like break people's hearts, but I'm actually against social media. I've never had an Instagram up until then. I never had a Twitter. I never had a Facebook. I was never interested in that shit. And lo and behold, I, I caved in during the scandemic, you know, to feed my podcast addiction that was going on at the time. Because in them scandemic days, the podcasting was at its peak. The best podcasting ever was happening in the scandemic days because people had the time um so that's what put me on there so i was on there a year before that's it i have no backstory no back history um prior to that so you mentioned human vibration as one of your favorite people and uh, i was fortunate enough to interview her for conversations i think it was episode number seven or eight back in the early days of this show a couple of years ago and so when did you first become familiar with human vibration um, I saw her on the tinfoil hat 
podcast. And at that time, what was really pissing me off with the truth for conspiracy world is they were all going nuts about Jeffrey Epstein. That's all they was talking about. And I was in my head thinking, hey, you don't even know he's a real person. We don't. We have no evidence he's a real person other than his online fiction. And out of all of the people out there, she was the only one I know of that actually said that out loud. I don't know if he's a real person. So that's where human vibration like, gained my respect and where I thought, oh, this one's a bit different, right? She's not so interested in, you know, going along with the mainstream truther um, view. She's prepared to say stuff like that. And that was really re refreshing for me to hear. And that's when I started following human vibrations work. And were you a regular listener of Sam Tripoli? This is uh, Sam Tripoli, Tinfoil Hat Podcast is what you're talking about. Were you a regular listener to that prior to listening to HV? Like, how long have you been listening to that kind of show? Yeah, but back in the day, I mean, I, I, I'm awful with dates, yeah, but I would say around 2018 onwards. Don't really listen to it much now. I don't really listen to much, any kind of truth or conspiracy stuff anymore. But back then, yeah, it was like a weekly or bi-weekly show. And I used to listen, yeah. Because the reason I'm asking these questions is that I'm always interested in people's path to get to where they are now in terms of what they yeah. believe and what they're watching or listening to. So if I've got this chronology right, around about 2018, you start listening to Tinfoil Hat. And then a couple of years later, we have this scamdemic, as you rightly call it. And then you hear later on, you hear Human Vibration on the Sam Tripoli Tinfoil Hat podcast. You appreciate that she's talking about this Epstein thing potentially being a hoax or whatever. So you start following her work. And then in 2022, yep. you decide to get into content creation, if we can call it that. You get into that yourself when you fly to Ukraine and start tweeting about what you're really seeing. Is that a roughly fair chronology that we've established? I'll, I'll add a few more things onto it. So then I started listening to Human Vibrations stuff. And then I found out she had her own podcast called The Realized Radio um, with a guy called Rambo as well. I really started listening to their stuff. I started going on their Patreon and, you know, because it's a really good, refreshing kind of look at things, yeah? And then I started connecting with those guys. Now, when I went to Ukraine, it was really only because of Human Vibration and, and Rambo, the co-host, highlighting my work that you guys know about me. So I do have to, like, shout them guys out regards to like shining a light on my work because I would have just who would have known about me I would have just been another dead Twitter account it was only their massive following their power to kind of like ignite my content that you you guys know about me so I had met up with them before I had chatted with them before I kind of talked my way onto their podcast and then I went to Ukraine so it's weird how it all kind of the stars kind of aligned for me regarding that kind of stuff well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was going to be my next point. I heard about you through Human Vibration and Realize Radio. That's how I became familiar with yeah. your work. And I only got into Twitter because of Human Vibration. It wasn't just her. There was a few people. There was these people called the Black Pill Podcast who suddenly disappeared. Yeah. It's a strange story, that one. We might talk about that in the second hour. But anyhow, there was Human Vibration, Black Pill Podcast. There was a dude called A's, as in A-Y-Z. And I found out all about all of them through fakeologist.com. And then I found out these people are all using Twitter. And then I heard it was either HV or one of the others explain that on Twitter, they're not really being censored, which I always assumed Twitter would be. But they were able to mm. say a lot of things that we couldn't even say on YouTube anymore because YouTube is more my background. I never got into Twitter. So I only got into Twitter because of HV and the rest of these um, 
people who to me at the time were kind of newcomers, if I can put it that way. And then through following that, eventually one day I find out about your material. And here we are at the end of 2023 talking about it. And we've got a lot to talk about. But I want to get this chronology correct because like I said, I'm always very interested in people's path to get here. So 2018 roughly is when you seem to recall listening to Sam Tripoli and a Tinfoil Hat podcast. This might sound like a strange question, but do you remember how or why you suddenly started following Tinfoil Hat? No, I, I cannot pinpoint what exactly. I'm pretty sure it's just a suggestion on YouTube, a suggested content on YouTube. See, now that's an interesting answer because that's what happened with me in 2013 when I first learned about some of these fake school shootings or fake marathon bombings. One day, I'm minding my own business. This is 2013. This is back when YouTube was totally different to what it is now. And I didn't even know what I was watching or what I was doing. But suddenly, I get this video of somebody explaining how this guy is a crisis actor. And he's showing photos that don't... Like, I can just tell that doesn't suit the official narrative. But prior to that point, I wasn't into any of this stuff. And then back then, YouTube would auto-recommend you another related video. And this is back before they censored and uh, kiboshed this kind of conspiracy talk. So you could very quickly find yourself falling down the rabbit hole with no intention. I didn't sit down at my computer that day to find out about crisis actors and to learn about all of this nonsense, mm -hmm. right? It was a YouTube recommendation that basically led to the last 10 years and me talking to you right now and all the listeners around the world listening to this conversation. That all goes back to a YouTube recommendation from 2013. And I sometimes wonder... And this fits in with some of the content that you've been releasing lately, which we'll talk about later on. But this matrix idea of the rabbit hole or this Alice in Wonderland falling down the rabbit hole and this technology that we're using, Les, we like to think that we're the ones using the technology. But sometimes I wonder if it's the other way around. Now, another question on your... And we'll talk about that later on in this uh, conversation. Let me tell you that right now. But let me go back even further. Before 2018, did you ever get into zeitgeist or loose change or prison planet? That stuff that sort of became a, a big cultural phenomenon, at least among people who were at the right age at the right time, I suppose. Did you ever get into any of that in like the mid 2000s or the, the later 2000s? Were you ever into any of this kind of stuff at that time? No, no, no I've not seen any of them even to this day. With me, John, it was, I, I used to watch them 10 hour long David Icke presentations on YouTube. And that was it for me. And then 10 hours, he used to be, one was like 10 hours, one was nine hours. There might have been a six hour one. For that was it. That was it for me. That guy, whether you like him or not, he's been in the game a long time and he's managed to compress it all into that 10 hours, a pretty much a, a, the, the spectrum of conspiracy. And I, although I might not agree exactly with him on every single thing, roughly he's in the right ballpark. Corrupt government, corrupt medical system, corrupt banking system, you know, people need to stop complying blah 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 and that was it for me that 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 he'd done it like not, i didn't really need to go anywhere else so you know conspiracy wise that's about as far as i go i maybe put on that 10 hour podcast and fall asleep maybe you know go back into it the next day pick up where i left off go back to doing kind of regular normal stuff i mean i've, I've never really been much of a sit in front of a computer type guy um i was never really big on youtube Back in my 20s, I was a gym dude. I was a gym gym freak. You know, I was gymming twice a day, trying to sleep as much as I can, getting my meals in. I was never really into that kind of side of things. 
I mean, really, and this is where it gets a bit... We're probably going to talk about this in the second hour, but that's where, to me, it starts to get a bit sinister. All that stuff you just said, like, we've been led to where we are now when you think about it, right? And if it, was, if it wasn't for that scandemic, I would never have got into podcasting. It's only because, you know, the world had shut down. I had the time to spend hours when I was sitting on the beach listening to this guy, that guy, this lady, that lady, you know, that I kind of branched out. You know, I discovered um, the tin, um, you know, uh, Greg Harwood's High Side Chats. Yeah, again, that's a great back catalogue of, of guests and stuff. But, you know, it's, you know, one thing leads to another, right? And you do kind of look back and you think, wow, if, I, if there was no scandemic, would I be here right now having this conversation with you? It is funny the yeah. different paths that we take. So as for Greg Harwood of the High Side Chats, I have to say he did this interview back in 2018. And I think it's called something like The History Hoax and the Wireframe Mesh. And in my personal opinion, it's one of the best podcasts, interviews that's <laughs> ever been done. And I might link to that oh, in the really? show notes below. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. It was, they had this guest I on. May, I may have heard He was it. this weird Australian dude who had uh, a yeah, somewhat yeah. funny uh, speaking style and some, some strange idiosyncrasies. But my goodness gracious me, it was a mind-blowing three-hour, 20-minute interview. I'll link to that in the show notes below if people are interested in going and checking that out. Okay, so one final question on your path to get here which i'm always fascinated by you mentioned david ike how did you get into david ike do you remember how you first started listening to his 10-hour shows or did you ever read one of his books did one of your friends give him a copy of the book how'd that begin man i i can't yeah again i cannot i cannot pinpoint the exact moment i mean he's just always been in the background right he's always been around he is very he's very much a mainstream conspiracy person like he was always on youtube you know, I'd say even I'd even go as far as to say that he built that corner of YouTube, the Wild West of conspiracy theory. Him and Alex Jones, yeah, again, whether you like them or not, they built that side of um, YouTube. And I'm going to say it's probably another YouTube recommendation. I can't honestly pinpoint the exact moment, but no, I know, I've never read one of his books. I've never really read a book in my life, if people want to know. Um, so yeah, fair enough. Okay, so I think I, we get I, the basic I, 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 idea. I, I, you got into yeah. uh, David Icke at some point, don't really remember how, and then uh, at some point, 2018 roughly, you're listening to Tinfoil Hat, then he interviews Human Vibration, you like her stuff because she's not falling for this Q Epstein nonsense, in my personal opinion, it's all complete nonsense, and she is not falling for it, so you're impressed by that, you start following her work, and then at some point in 2021, you uh, interact with her and Rambo at Realize Radio, and then in 2022, yeah. and now we get to the really juicy stuff, there is this supposed war going on in Ukraine. So at this point, I want to shut up and let you speak. You're the one who went to this supposed war zone. So walk us through it. At some point, you decide, I'm going to buy a ticket from somewhere in the UK. I believe you live in England somewhere. You can give us more specific details if you like. But just somewhere in that part of Europe. And then you decide you're going to fly to the other side of Europe. And you're going to go and document a supposed war zone. Walk us through from the day that you got this idea in your head. You buy the ticket. You go to the plane. Take us right back to that experience. And I'm going to shut up and listen. And I've been looking forward to you explaining this for a long time. So let's get right into it. Take us back to your first trip to a so-called war zone. So, yeah, like, like I said, right, I, um, I originally bought a plane ticket right into Kiev. The airport was still open. I believe that was for the 17th. I think moments are I, literally within 24 hours of buying that ticket. I got the email off the airline 
sorry, your flight's been cancelled. The airspace over, over Kiev has been closed. Um, at this point, nothing's happened. And I'm sitting there thinking, should I go? Because at then they were, they were all talking about, you know, a mass buildup of Russian forces on the border. You know, they were all putting the idea in people's, in the masses head before it even happened. And anyway, on the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022, the Minsk agreement was broken and allegedly Putin had put military forces in the Donbass region. When that, when I heard of that date, two, 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 I just knew it was, this was it. This was the time to go. And then, so I found another way in. I looked, I looked, you know, I was going on Google maps and stuff. I thought, right, I'm going to go in through Poland. So I flew to Krakow, Krakow, however you say it. And then I made my way through. Now, weirdly enough, in that whole kind of documenting of, of my journey, probably the most juiciest stuff is when I got to the border town of Poland and Ukraine. And I think I've done a really good job of documenting how much of a setup this was. I use the analogy of a film set or like a, a theme park ride, like The Walking Dead or something, because the way the people were getting forced into performing as a refugee was just incredible. You know, the way they'd um, set up the train station, they closed certain doors, closed certain platforms that forced anyone going through, whether you're a Ukrainian or not, just a regular person, you got forced through this fully immersive kind of uh, refugee scene with all the set dressings and all the volunteers that had all been cramped in. And you had the mainstream media kind of set up right at a key point so they would make it look like it was more crowded than it was. And then from there... You know, I spent a day, I think, maybe uh, maybe a day and a half there getting a lot of footage. Then I headed into Kiev itself. Now, at the time I went was during the Battle of Kiev, when allegedly, according to the mainstream media, 156 battal- of Russia's most elite battalions had encircled the city and the, an intense fighting had reached the city center, according to the media. I got to um, Kiev and I showed that was not the case. There was no intense fighting in the capital and pretty much this idea of 156 of Russia's most elite battalions in and around Kiev was just absolutely ridiculous. It was more of a lockdown. And um, that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a great thread. to this. I mean, some people say it's the greatest thread they've ever read. Some people say it's the most ridiculous thread they've ever read, which I love. And that's really my kind of claim to fame regarding kind of like work. And yeah, I mean, you go and look at that and and I'm trying not to blow my own trumpet here, but you did kind of see the mainstream media, the global media have to kind of wheel back their outrageous claims that were being made about Kiev. And even now, if you go and look on like uh, Wikipedia, the story of Kiev has massively changed from what they were saying. Right now, did I play a part in that? Did this whole kind of guerrilla journalism type tactic work? I'd say yes. I mean, yeah, again, that's, I don't want to blow my own trumpet too much, but it feels like very much that I did disrupt things by going just merely walking the streets of Kiev with my secondhand iPhone, just filming that the, the streets are fine. Grannies are out and about. Coffee shops are open. Sirens are playing, but people weren't running. There was, no, there, was, there was no missiles raining down or anything like that. You know, and I could see like, you know, I don't know. How far can the human eye see? 10 kilometers, 20 kilometers? I could go to high points in, in Kiev and look either direction and see there was no big clouds of smoke. There was no attack helicopters flying around. There were no fighter jets. There was no artillery barrages going on. 
I think I've done a good job of proving that this this outrageous claim was that an outrageous claim. Well, let me explain and this then, for the listeners who maybe might have got lost uh, in amongst all of this. So when you say it was yes. one of your most popular threads of all time, you mean on Twitter. So you were posting yeah. multiple tweets while you were there. And some of these included videos as well. And I remember watching one of these where you were showing just a regular day. I mean, February is a bit cold in, in that part of the world, but it's a regular day and you don't see any war happening. And you're there in Kiev. And so... If somebody was watching the news and believing the news, they would think that people need to be in their bunkers because bombs are going off and it's a complete disaster. You're there filming and just showing people going about their day. There, there was a whole list of things uh, the mainstream media were claiming, right? The first one is they said there was no, they said there was no trains in and out of Kiev because of the war. Well, obviously, I proved that to be nonsense because I got a train in and I got a train out. They also claimed there was no food. They said there was a massive food shortage because of the war. I went into every supermarket and showed you that the shelves were stacked to the ceiling with food. They also said that people were just, you know, hiding in their basements due to um, incoming, you know, artillery and rocket strikes. Ridiculous. And then, yeah, the other one was they said intent. They said Russian tanks had made it into central Kiev. Ridiculous. And they said intense fighting had happened between Russian and, uh, and Ukrainian forces in the city center ridiculous so a whole list of things there i kind of debunked and i did that by yeah just showing every street i could that people were still walking around i mean there was a, you know there was a lockdown of such right they had shut the economy down they told everyone to close their shops and that but very much like the scandemic lockdown yeah the supermarkets were open and coffee shops were open for takeaway coffee and um you know i'd get myself a cappuccino and i'd show myself walking around with a cappuccino in this so-called war zone right in the battle of kiev which was yeah, again according to the uk uh, media 24 hours away from being overrun which they said a day before i even left ridiculous well one of the videos i remember from that time and i'm not sure if it was one of your videos or somebody else's but it was a sunny day and people were at the cafe just chatting and laughing and what have you i think a couple of people might have even had beers on their tables and it's just people living their life like normal. And this is contrasted what the media was presenting, that this was a war zone. And as you said, they could be overrun at any minute. Complete contrast. And so my next question yeah. for you is, did you get a chance to speak with any of the, the Ukrainians? Did you get a chance to talk to the regular people and get their opinions, their perspectives on all of this? I, I spoke to plenty of... Um ukrainians but i didn't i'll be honest with you john i'd never really kind of put the question to them like that like the conspiracy i didn't really i didn't like say to them hey do you think this is a joke do you think this is i didn't really want to like push anyone's buttons while i was there because i will say there is there was a kind of heavy energy there regarding like what i call the agent smith right the the, the people that were there believing in it truly believed in it and they had like um what they call ukrainian territorial defense guys which, in my opinion, are just people from the pub. They basically deputise people from the pub to walk around the streets of of um, Kiev and look for saboteurs or Russian spies and all this kind of shit. Because there was a strict no filming uh, policy had been enforced over the over the city. But no, I didn't really push any buttons regarding or get any kind of like perspective regarding that side of things. I just had because re- re- I was trying to like blend in, right? I was trying to just play the role of a lost tourist stuck in Kiev. So um, I only really spoke to people on a normal level. I was on my P's and Q's. 
I remember the, um, you know, in the hostel I was staying at, they have like security at the front. It was a young guy. And I remember he was being very helpful, right? Helping me get, trying to get cabs and stuff and trying to get me over to like um, a place called Irpin, which had apparently been blown up and stuff. But yeah, again, I didn't know. I did not. My, my general rule of thumb is I don't try and like, I don't interview NPCs. If I'm going to be honest, I don't interview NPCs is my rule because I know from experience that they see what they're told to see. They are very hypnotized. If people haven't worked it out now, the masses are very easily hypnotized and they're walking around with a head full of memories of stuff that didn't happen. So in general, I don't I don't waste my time on that. Unless they come to me and might, might suggest something to me that might let me know they're quite enlightened or they've got the eyes to see, then I might go further, but I never kind of instigate it. All right, so you were there during this Battle of Kiev, as you mentioned. So on February 24 is when this conflict supposedly begins, which to me is a significant date for a couple of reasons. One of them is the 242 thing, and I'm not going to get into the crazy Gematria stuff or anything, but maybe in the second hour we can talk about the 2-4 the and the 4-2. Anyhow, the Battle of Kiev begins on February 25, and so you happened to arrive there via train from Poland at some point during that Battle of Kiev. I, I left the UK on the 3rd, the 3rd of the 3rd. According to Sky News, the Battle of Kiev ended on the 13th of March. Yeah, well, again, they, they, they keep changing the date, but it was around the 12th, 13th, allegedly the Battle of Kiev was over. Well, you're quite right. They do seem to be changing some of these key details. If you go to Wikipedia right now for the Battle of Kiev, it says it began on Feb 25 and ended on April 2, which is another... 4-2 by amazing coincidence. Now, the official story at the moment is that here's the number of people who were killed, the number of soldiers. So this is a, this is the, guys, this is the beginning of this war in Ukraine that's ongoing, that we're coming up on two years now, it's been going. So the initial offensive by evil Putin and all of his battalions, how many people do you think, according to the official story today, died as a result of that? Right now, according to Wikipedia, on the Ukrainian side, 162 soldiers were killed. 162. On the Russian side, it says, unknown, presumed heavy. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the yeah. official story. Yeah. If you go to Wikipedia right now, okay, it says Battle of Kiev. It has a photo of some smoke in the background in a city. It gives the dates, Feb 25 to April 2. The belligerents, Russia on one side, Ukrainian supported by Belarus on the other side. It's got all the commanders and all these other things. Then it says casualties and losses. Ukraine, 162 soldiers killed. On the Russian side, unknown, presumed heavy, four planes shot down. That's the official story today. I mean, I, I remember at one point they tried saying one, one fifth of the Russian military was decimated in the Battle of Kiev. And like someone done the maths. And that was like, that would work out something like 200,000 troops. And then obviously they had to, everyone had to withdraw that story because it was ridiculous. Then they said, no, no, no. One fifth of the forces that went to take part in the Battle of Kiev. So they, they keep, this is how they pull it off. They keep, they'll initially put out an outrageous claim. Then somewhere in the newspaper, they'll retract it in a small print. But they won't bother telling anyone of that retraction. They'll allow people to carry on thinking that one fifth of the Russian military was decimated. And another kind of like crazy side of it was they were trying to make out the Ukrainians only had like Molotov cocktails and things like that. I remember there being a lot of images of a, of a Ukrainian guy throwing a, a petrol bomb. You know, these plucky Ukrainians fought off the, 
these elite Russian forces with Molotov cocktail. You know, it's just pure fantasy and fiction and just ridiculous. Do you remember that Rhapsody. Ghost of Kiev story? Remember this uh, Ghost of Kiev? Yeah. Did they ever admit that that well, was so a hoax? Did... I think they might have admitted that one was a hoax. Yeah. I'm not sure. Well, they admit... <laughs> Here's what they've done. They admitted it was a hoax, just, you know, a, a tool of propaganda for morale. But then months later, they handed Rishi Sunak the helmet of the Ghost of Kiev as a gift after admitting that he wasn't real. So they can't even keep up with their own nonsense. But yet again, is that just another layer of, of the fuckery to keep all of us guys busy? You know, I just want, I'm getting, as time goes on, I'm starting to think, is this all just to keep us busy? Like what I call chicken feed, you know, they're deliberately letting us get hold of this stuff to keep us busy. Cause they want us on the internet. That's the sad thing is they want us on the internet, but yeah, again, we'll get into that in, in, in hour two, I guess, but, yeah. yeah, the chicken I mean, feed idea also... of yours is a very important concept, and I do want to get into that. And since you've brought it up, why don't we just talk about this here? So you've got this theory. Let me t- let me see if after all of the interviews I've listened to with you and all of the videos that you've watched, let me see if I've got your theory correct. This chicken feed idea is that whoever's responsible for all of these nonsense stories and what I call hoaxes and fake events, whatever, they put out chicken feed as in... You know, if you have like a, a pen full of chickens, you, you throw the food on the ground, right? And they go and, you know, peck at the food without even thinking. They're just like, uh, they're very simple creatures, these uh, chickens. So you're throwing the chicken feed, they go and eat it. It's, they can't help themselves. You're suggesting that the people who put out some of these stories, some of these seemingly trivial stories, it actually is trivial. It's just a distraction and conspiracy people or awake people, even people like me, we talk about this stuff. But really, we're being given these stories to distract us, like chickens being thrown chicken feed. Have I basically got your chicken feed concept down, Pat? To keep us pecking. Well, I'll add a few more things to that. You've got to remember that chicken has to go and look in the grass for that chicken feed. Yeah? It spends all day just looking in the grass. Oh, there's a bit of chicken feed. Peck, peck, peck. There's a bit of chicken feed. Peck, peck, peck. You know? And it's emptiness, right? Chicken feed. It's only good for a chicken that's going to get eaten. But in World War Two. The British intelligence services used something called the double cross system. And this is, this is, this, when I found out about this, this blew my mind. Instead of like lying to the enemy, instead of misdirecting them, they gave them somewhat true but useless information to keep them busy. And sure, they'd hide it, they'd encrypt it and all that kind of stuff. There'd be different layers. There'd be like no cipher, medium cipher, high cipher, you know. The Germans would have to, like, crack the code and get hold of this information. But they were deliberately allowing them to get hold of information that was just useless. The idea being that you give people, you give the enemy, like, puzzle pieces to click together so that they build up a picture in their head. You haven't told them this. You're just you're just throwing stuff out into the ether. They're picking it up, building up a picture in their head, coming to conclusions in their own head. And that kind of psychology of letting the enemy think that they're winning, letting them think that they've come to a conclusion by themselves all this kind of stuff, that is the double cross system tactic, and yeah, they used to call it chicken feed, they used to throw out chicken feed and, it, and it, when you think about it, it's brilliant why lie to people when you can just give them useless truth to keep them busy and you think, think the ghost of have. Kiev story might be an example of this yeah, and I'd say 99.9% of all of the conspiracy stuff we, we, we come across is as well, if I'm being honest if we want to go there yet. 
Actually, I do want to talk about the broader conspiracy scene later on, so we'll get to that. But since we're talking about the ghost of Kiev, I said to people, I think, like I said five minutes ago, I think maybe they might have admitted this is a hoax. I haven't gone back and revisited this until just now. But here's what it says. This is on Wikipedia. Ghost of Kiev is the nickname given to a mythical MiG-29 fulcrum flying ace credited with shooting down six Russian planes over Kiev during the Kiev Offensive on February 24, 2022. Various reports, including the Security Service of Ukraine, made similar claims. The ghost of Kiev has been credited as a morale booster for Ukrainians and as a narrative for Ukraine's success during the Russo-Ukrainian War. Two months after the story spread, the Ukrainian Air Force acknowledged that the fighter was a myth and warned people not to neglect the basic rules of information hygiene and to check the sources of information before spreading it. Experts have stated that stories such as the ghost of Kiev are part of Ukrainian propaganda or a morale-boosting campaign, or potentially both. Mm -hmm. So in other words, according to this Wikipedia page, this is the beginning of that page, the Ukrainian Air Force is saying that you should not neglect the basic rules of information hygiene but this story came to the people from, according to the same story, from the security service of Ukraine. So in other words, oh, guys, yeah. don't listen to us. Don't trust a single thing we say. <laughs> and that's the official story. Even the official story is that these people telling these stories are making it up. And yet, if you speak to the average person, Liz, they still seem to think that most of what the TV is telling them, most of what the government is telling them, is probably true. Even though with the ghost of Kiev which may or may not be chicken feed, here is a story saying, ah, we, just, we just make stuff up. It's for morale-boosting purposes. We just make stories up. It's your fault for listening to us. You should have practiced information hygiene. Don't listen to us. We just make shit up. It's your fault, really, for believing us, is what seems to be the official story right now. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you've got to think, look back at every single war going, right? There's always been that, this kind of poster boy, a propaganda tool or person or tank or whatever. And then years later, it comes out, it was all bullshit. But yeah, again, like you just said, the whole bullshit part doesn't, that, that's kind of kept quiet. They'll whisper that. Whereas in the beginning, they'll shout about this kind of mythical person, vehicle, machine, whatever. And then later on, they'll retract it and whisper it. So the masses carry on believing, you know, the bullshit. Well, we need to press on because we're getting to the end of this first part of the call. You made the first trip to Ukraine. How long were you there for the first time you went there during this uh, conflict? Oh, I think I think I left on the 9th. And then I spent when, when I left Kiev, I, I spent another week in Poland, like getting all the content out and stuff. So, yeah, first time around, I was only I was only in Poland. For, uh, sorry, in Ukraine for maybe five, five days. Um, I wish, you know, it's a money thing, really. I didn't have the money to stay out there. You did end up making a second trip out there, is that right? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Odessa. I had a lot of people saying to me, yeah, Odessa's next. Odessa's about to be, um, you know, attacked, taken out and whatnot. So I headed over to Odessa and also showed there was nothing going on. in Odessa was even nicer regarding coffee shops being open, restaurants, people walking around in flip-flops, riding around on scooters and whatnot. So what do you say to people? So you've been to two different parts of Ukraine when this conflict was supposedly going on. And you documented with your own camera that there was no apparent actual war going on. There were not food shortages. 
even the trains hadn't been stopped. People were going about their day in your reality, in real life, in contrast to what was being said on the TV. What do you say to people, Les, who come back and they're like, oh, but you were in the wrong part. You just happened by amazing chance to be in the part that wasn't affected. But if you had have just gone to this other part, that's where actually the conflict was going on. What do you say to these kinds of people? Uh, well, I, c- I can only be in one place at one time, right? I chose Kiev because at the time that had the most kind of uh, outrageous claims about it. And, you know, the people want to sit on a computer and say, well, you need to go there, you need to go there. You know, it's easy to say that from behind the screen, right? But, you know, this stuff costs money. And But I, I went where they said it was happening. And I think that's, that, that's kind of... It's sad that people are playing that trick on themselves to say, oh, yeah, but that doesn't count. We're just going to ignore what Les is saying. You need to go over to the other place where you're not at. You know, they all want to talk about the haters and the naysayers. Of course, they want to talk about all the places I didn't go. And they refuse to talk about the place I did go. But can I just, John, I just think it's important. I, I should probably say this, right? It's not just war. I've found myself in these places way before this, right? So all throughout the scandemic, I worked in a hospital. And it's the same model they're using, what I call illusion warfare, this kind of, this theatrics where they make people perform. It's the same thing. So I saw firsthand in the hospitals what they were doing to create the illusion of a deadly virus, of a deadly pandemic. I also found myself in the um, Egyptian civil war back in 2014, where once again, according to, you know, the uh, Middle Eastern alternative to BBC, like Al Jazeera and stuff, they were making out the streets of Cairo were ablaze with with uh, riots and protests and civil unrest. It was absolutely fine. And even before that, I look back now, I grew up in the IRA bombings. I grew up in London, yeah? So we had the IRA bombings, which, you know, supposedly the provisional IRA were targeting civilians on the London Underground and stuff. Same thing, yet again, a, a supposed suspicious package has been found at wherever, Embankment Station. They close it all off, bomb squad goes in, and everyone in London on their commute home gets caught up in it and have to, has to perform where certain train lines are now closed, certain roads are closed, and you're now caught in like a four-hour um, journey home that should take you half an hour. You're caught in it. And that's what makes it real to people, the fact that they're caught in this kind of... Well, they're, they're made to perform in it, right? So I do actually have a back history of being in these places before Ukraine. So this isn't just like my first rodeo, if you know what I'm saying. So when you like went to Ukraine... In your mind, yeah. the first time, in your mind, were you thinking to yourself, there's a chance that this is real and I'm actually going to be in the middle of a dangerous place? Or were you already certain before you even got there, there's going to be nothing happening there? On the, on the train, on the way there, were you thinking to yourself, if this does turn out to be real, my contingency plan is to get out of there? Or can you talk us through in your mind what you were expecting on the way when you got there? Were you already certain that this thing would be nonsense. Okay, so, um, yeah, I, I knew my prediction was wrong, but I knew there was not going to be a real war. My prediction was there was going to be a fake takeover by Russian forces. I assumed that Russian tanks were going to park in what they call Freedom Square in Kiev and just raise the Russian flag. And I thought that was gonna, that was my prediction in my head. And I did think, okay, this might be dangerous because I'm snooping around on a world stage theater set. And my contingency plan was to be like, look, if, if I get, if I get pulled over and arrested, it is what it is. Right. What can they do? Really? I can only read, you know, I'm just going to play the lost tourist or maybe a, a vlogger, YouTube vlogger or something. 
Um, I just really wanted to document what was going on. So in my head, I pictured Russian tanks pulling up into Freedom Square in Kiev, raising the Russian flag. That was my prediction. What I found, it was even more, it was even, not even that. It was more ridiculous than that. There was just nothing going on. They didn't even bother with that. So no, I didn't, I never thought that there was going to be bombs and bullets landing on my head, no. Did you think there was a chance though? Like even, because you know a lot of people, and it's not just this kind of topic, it's lots of topics that are discussed in this corner of the internet. There's a lot of people who feel kind of confident that this thing is a hoax or this thing isn't real or whatever. But there's still this little fear in the back of their mind that maybe they're wrong or maybe they've gone crazy or maybe they've been misled by different YouTubers and podcasters and bloggers and whatever. Like, There's still this nagging little concern of like, what if maybe I'm wrong? Did you have any of that when you were taking this trip out to Ukraine for the first time? Was there any part of you that was like, maybe, like what if I'm... Like, what if I'm actually crazy and something bad's going to happen and I've just been completely off the reservation for too long and everyone back home is going to say, what the hell were you thinking? Like, what did you think was going to happen? You were going to a freaking war zone. What did you expect? And then you're thinking, how do you explain to them that you now see that it was real, but you, you thought maybe it was fake and you had these friends on the internet and... Do you see what I'm trying to say to you here? Was there any part? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, every, every, okay, so there was, all, there was a curfew, right? Everyone had to be off the street by um, 8 p.m. And, um, and that's when they start firing up the sirens, the air raid sirens. So I'd always, like, look out the window of my hostel. After, I'd hear the air raid siren. i think, okay, I'm just going to look like a right dick now if, if I hear a massive explosion afterwards. But it never came. So, yeah, it definitely was on my mind. Like, listen, the moment an explosion, I hear an explosion or I see something, that's it. I was wrong. I'm totally wrong, and I, I would have to just, I'd have had to just put my hands up and I'd admit that, right? I got it wrong, or maybe rethink how I'm looking at this, you know? But it never happened. But yes, definitely, throughout the whole time, there was always that in the back of my head, like all it takes is that one thing that's going to happen that proves that I'm completely wrong about this. Yeah, it was definitely there, definitely an option, of course. Do you think, looking back, what you did, even though you were pretty confident it was not real? The fact that you still took the trip out there, and even if it turned out not to be real, what if there were people on the ground whose job was to stop people like you? And we will talk about your attempted trip to Israel in the second hour, but even rewinding before that, going to Ukraine, you didn't know what would happen, and you were going out there by yourself. Do you think looking back, doing what you did, maybe one of the reasons why other people don't do it is because it does take a lot of courage and some bravery and some serious kahunas to even try something like this. Again, I know you're, you don't want to, you're an Englishman, you don't want to toot your own horn or whatever, but can you see how a lot of us, watching what you did and seeing the documentation you did, can you see why a lot of us were very impressed by what you did and very grateful as well, for that matter? Yeah, man, yeah, 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 yeah. Because that is a very, they, I have to stress to people, that is a very real thing. The people that believe in it, you know, like I said, I call them the Agent Smith, right? The Agent Smith effect. The risk of being arrested in those countries is real. That is definitely real. Every corner you turn, there'd be someone in a uniform standing there on the lookout. You know, they've been told to look out for Russian spies or whatever. But really, they're looking out for people like us that are snooping around trying to film what's really going on. But they don't know that. Okay, they're under the spell. They think they're fighting the enemy, blah, blah, blah. That is definitely real. And um, 
yeah, I, I do. I do have to stress. There were times I had my bollocks in my mouth regarding that side of it. Say I'd be walking down the street and I turn around a corner and it'd be just like a, a massive military checkpoint. And I couldn't just I couldn't just like go, you know, whoop and just walk around. I'd have to like walk up to them with confidence and try and play the role of the lost tourist and get my phone out and say, oh, can you point to where the train station is on my Google Maps? And, and that was a very that was what that is the only real part of it, I'd say. And that is the, that is the scary part of it. The Agent Smith effect. The people that are under the spell are particip- participating in the illusion. They don't understand what they're doing. And for them, it's real. And I think that's what made it so thrilling, right? As Human Vibration says, that that thread, that, you know, that story made it very thrilling. It was, I think that was the big part of it. The kind of like James Bondy side of it running around, essentially undercover on the film set, doing what you can do, trying to bring truth out and get out of there as well. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people were following those threads as closely as they did, because so far as I'm aware... There's nobody else doing this kind of thing. So as we start to wrap up the first part of this call, my next question is, do you plan to keep doing this if there was a new supposed war or a new uh, massive civil conflict, for argument's sake, somewhere in northern Africa or somewhere else in Europe or somewhere that you could, in theory, get to, do you think that's what you'll do the next time one of these things begins or there's another major event like the, the riots that were in France a little while ago or like this Israel thing? Do you think next time this happens, you're going to try again to be the man on the ground to document it? Do you plan to keep doing this? Yes, no, maybe. I know it, I know it's getting harder and harder. Like the, the locations they're choosing now are, are make it really difficult to get to. I'm getting more and more well known. As a general rule of thumb, I follow like the guerrilla warfare tactics, but I just use it for good, for journalism. And one of the main ones is that don't go unless you can get yourself back out. Don't go and execute a mission unless you can get yourself back out. Like you've got a direct route out of there. So I always look at the next thing and I have to see a way in and there has to be a way out. And definitely if I can do both of those things, get in and get out, 100% I'll go. If it puts me at risk or it's just going to be a dead end or gets me arrested, I'm not going to waste my time. So it depends where it is, what's going on, and if I can get in and out. But I definitely really enjoy this. I'm kind of very thankful I'm not as well-known as people would maybe want me to be, because that helped. If I was famous, it would make it even more tricky. The fact that I'm not known means I can kind of slip in and no one knows who the fuck I am. That's, this is why I don't show my face a lot as well, because if people start to recognize me, it's only a matter of time before some border guard somewhere, some policeman, some... A uh, military guy recognizes my face and goes, oh, that's the arsehole that keeps coming up to war zones and causing problems. Bam, arrest him. So it all depends what comes up next is the honest answer. John, I don't really know. We have to see. Well, I probably should have said for full disclosure at the beginning of this interview for the benefit of the listeners, I do support you on Patreon. And I do selfishly, for my own selfish reasons, hope that the next time one of these things happen, you will be on the ground reporting from the location, from the scene. And this stuff costs money. You buy the tickets, you go and stay at hostels, whatever you're doing, and this costs money. And so I support what you're doing, and a few other people do, and I'll put a link in the show notes below. I hope anybody who's interested in this, anybody who wants to see an independent person on the ground documenting what's really happening in contrast to the mainstream media, I hope they will consider going and joining your Patreon. And if they won't do that, they should at least subscribe to your Twitter 
so that the next time you are on the ground, they can follow your threads and we can see from somebody who's there, who's not part of CNN or NBC or routers or AP or any of these things, somebody who's there just saying, guys, they say one thing's happening. Here's what I'm seeing with my little iPhone or whatever it is. Here's what I'm seeing. Make up your own minds. That's what you do. So I support it. And I recommend other people, if they're into this stuff, consider doing the same thing. I'll put links to that in the show notes below. Now, in the second hour, I want to talk with you about some of the stuff that I've heard you say over the last year or two. It's a little bit mind-blowing, and it's not for everybody. But for some people, this is very interesting stuff. Stuff about Westworld and The Truman Show, and more recently, The Matrix. I've heard you and Realize uh, Radio, um, Human Vibration and Rambo, use some of these movies as a way to explore what you think is going on on these movie sets, like that airport that you went to and the experience that you had with certain people who, if you didn't know better, you'd think were part of some kind of elaborate stage production and you find yourself in the middle of it. I want to talk about all of that. I want to talk about your trip to the Paris, the France riots that happened, what was being shown on the TV and what you were showing once again with your camera, the man on the ground. And then if we get time, I think we will. I want to get into some of this more existential, uh, somewhat spooky stuff. I'm looking forward to that a lot. But some people won't be there for the second hour, Les. So for the people who just listen to the public part of the call, I'll give you the final thoughts. We'll reconvene for the second hour in just a moment. But you get the final thoughts for the first part of this conversation. And when you finish, I'm then going to add at the end in post a little clip from Wag the Dog 1997, one of my favorite scenes from all cinema that I've ever seen. Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, an all-star cast, and they're talking about how the public's got to know. Who? The public? Stan, get with it. I'm going to add that as an addendum to the end of this first hour of Bombersations number 35. It has been December 20, 2023. This is hour one. We're going to get into the good... Well, I think we've already got into the good stuff, but we're going to get into more good stuff in the second hour. So if you are at Bombersations.com or JohnLeBond.com, Go and check it out. In fact, I'll even share it with you, Liz. You can share it with your patrons. So if somebody joins your patron, uh-huh. they will get the second hour of this call. And your patron is a lot less expensive than JohnLeBond.com. So that's probably their best bet. If you want to hear the rest of this, go and check out Les Luther's uh, patron. The second hour of this call will be there. But it's also there for JohnLeBond.com and Bombersations.com members as well. Thank you all for all of your support. You make this possible. So here's Les to round out the first hour, the public hour. And once he finishes... We'll go to a little clip from Wag the Dog. Les, the floor is yours. So after the last kind of like four years we've had, I think that all of us should consider spending less time on the black cube, the black mirror, this kind of device thing. I understand it's, you know, it can be very entertaining and obviously connects us all, right? We're all connecting. There are obviously good sides to it, but I think maybe perhaps start limiting time on it, right? Because it's very, the majority of it is very toxic, very dark, doom and um hopefully i've gonna done a good job of like proving that it's not always what it seems and knowing that perhaps we should maybe get back out in nature get back out in the sunshine work back on our fitness our nutrition and stuff like that so yeah i hope listen to this people will kind of like consider maybe not just spending too much time on a black cube black mirror and they start to get back out there and enjoy life right because regardless of what this place is whether it is a prison planet or not, we've got to be careful with that terminology. We've got to have a good time here no matter what. And I think real connections in real life are more important now than ever. And that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm looking forward to hour two. 
whether we're going to get into the matrix and the double cross system and whether we're all being set up or not, you know? They got to know at some point. Who? Who? The, the uh, you know, the, 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 the public. They got to know? Yes. Stan, get with it. Who killed Kennedy? I read the first draft of the Warren Report. It says he was killed by a drunk driver. You watch the go for. What do you see day after day? The one smart bomb falling down a chimney. The truth? I was in the building when we shot that shot. We shot it in a studio, Falls Church, Virginia, one-tenth scale model of a building. Is that true? How the fuck do we know? You take my point? Yes. All right. Okay. And you want me to do what? We want you to produce. You want me to produce your war? Not a war. It's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. It's like the Oscars. That's why we came to you. You've been listening to Bonversations. Find more episodes at johnlebon.com. We appreciate and thank all of the supporters who make this possible. Now have yourself a lovely day. Hello there, John. This is Donald J. Trump. I just wanted to let you know your content here on johnlebon.com is just absolutely tremendous. Really, I gotta say, my wife Melania and I have been consuming hours and hours of it. We just love it. We can't get enough of it, frankly. How dare you!